Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's fresh off a ceremonial couch burning to try to cleanse his team of whatever the heck is wrong with it. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, I, I live in the city of Houston, and there's something that's just wrong about a couch burning if Dana Holgerson isn't there to witness it. So invited him over. You know, he, he understood, uh, you know, ghost of, of Milan Pusker, uh, uh, be damned. But no, I, I <laughs> maybe maybe the whole Texas, uh, if, you, if you've watched any of Ted Lasso, maybe the, the, uh, the burning of things in the center of DKR is a ritual needed to cleanse uh, what's going on with the team. But a couch burning, you know may not hurt at least dana always remembers to bring he when when he comes to your home for any event he brings you a four pack of sugar-free red bull which is nice um it's very nice of him to do that it's very polite very kind say what you want about dana living in hotels when he was in Stillwater. he's still a pretty decent guy but we're not here to talk about rumors of housing for coaches we're here to talk about rumors of football that is somewhat competent on Saturday. Say somewhat because both teams kind of suck, but that's either here nor there. Texas has taken on West Virginia in the belly of the beast. That is Morgantown. Texas goes in as a two and a half point underdog, meaning that it's basically a pick em because, well, you get three points for being at home. So West Virginia, like Texas, currently four and six. Currently fighting for basically to guarantee or to avoid a guaranteed losing season at this point. Uh, their four wins came over the Long Island Sharks, 27 to 21 over Virginia Tech, 29 to 17 over TCU, and 38 to 21 over Iowa State. Three of those four teams are bad, and one of them is kind of probably bad, but also beat Texas, so we can't say they're worse than Texas. Uh, their six losses were a season opener against Maryland. We've been there before. Never um, do it. <laughs> A 13 to 16 uh, game with OU, who still had Spencer Rattler as the quarterback. A 23 to 20 loss to Texas Tech. A 45 to 20 loss to Baylor. A 24 to 3 loss to Oklahoma State, and a 34 to 17 loss to Kansas State. And so. They also, just like Texas, need to win out to win a bowl game. They, however, have Kansas still on the radar. Haven't lost to Kansas yet. Suck it. Uh, Sucks for us, but it is what it is. (sighs) So... This is a team where if you listen to our friends over at the Raspy Voice Kids, they're starting to get fed up with Neil Brown. But So each of the past five meetings between the Longhorns and the Mountaineers have been decided by single digits with Texas coming out on top in three of the last four. West Virginia is not particularly good on either side of the ball. Um, Their offense is quite a bit anemic. Let's just say it like that. Uh, They are number 77 in the country in offensive efficiency, number 85 in the country in points per drive, number 85 in the country in yards per play. They do, however, have the highest time of possession in the Big 12 uh, with 31-26, which does not bode well for Texas because well, that often our offense cannot seem to stay on the field. They lean a lot into running back Letty Brown in spite of the struggles they've had along the offensive line. 
but Kyle, I think just like shooting from the hip, like your your gut feelings on this matchup, like I think it's going to it could go one of two ways. It could either be a really exciting meeting of two bad teams or a really awful <laughs> meeting of two bad teams. It could be both in the same game. And that's kind of what I'm predicting is that two, four, and six teams that both kind of want to play in a bowl game are going to have moments of of goodness, maybe of brilliance, and they're going to have moments of ineptitude. These are two broken teams that are better than four and six records, I think. Um, you know, we certainly think Texas has the talent to be better than that. And I, I would argue that West Virginia does as well. And their fan base would, would have kind of a similar uh, thought, but so th these are two teams that, you know, if they can put it together, can, can be good, right? They beat uh, Virginia tech early in the season, looked like a pretty good win that has lost some of its luster as the season's gone on. Um, but uh, you know they 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 beat Iowa State right. That's their marquee win of the season. They had to put it all together. They were able to exploit some things. Mike Rose was out, and that was kind of Iowa State's worst defensive game uh, of the year. But they were able to exploit some things passing uh, deep uh, on that on that secondary. We thought Texas might be able to do that as well, based on what West Virginia was able to do. Um, I mean, I think there's there's going to be some fireworks. There's going to be some big plays. I, I imagine from both teams. These are both kind of. Um, Texas offense and, and West Virginia's defense, things that uh, that they'd go three and out, but also go boom. Um, so it could be gluts of points and then dearths of of boring football. And just be expected or to expect that going in that I don't know that this is going to be a 50 point game where teams are just firing off back and forth. I don't know that this is going to be a 14 point game um, where, you know, teams are just uh, having a punt fest. If they do have a punt fest, that bodes very well for Texas. We'll talk more about special teams <laughs> in a bit. But uh, yeah, I think effectively they like to run the ball uh, with Letty Brown, even if Letty Brown isn't, you know, getting a lot of yards per yep. carry. I think he was some somewhere like like 40th in the big 12 in yards per carry. Um, he, he's not elite at that. He's got a lot of yards, but that's because they, they feed him. Um, <laughs> they like to throw the ball deep. They, they have a little bit of a fans, at least quarterback controversy, but I think, you know, it's going to be Jared Deggy who throws 90% of the passes. They have a, a young quarterback who's more mobile, who, who the fans, um, you know, are rooting for to, to get into the game a bit more. But uh, effectively, if they can protect Deggy, if they can let him sit back in the pocket, get that wind-up going and toss some some deep balls, they, you know, they can do some things with that offense. Deggy, um, you know, like a Texas Tech quarterback that comes to mind named Deggy, or, or otherwise, you know, can just sling it 40 times a game and, and, and you know, his shoulder doesn't even hurt, right? He's a guy who would sit back there and just throw it a lot, and he's happy with that. Um, whether Neil Brown is and thinks that's the best course of action, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, their offensive line has been susceptible to the pass rush this year. The stats that I put in there that were very, very disheartening for me uh, was um, that Texas uh, is 111th in sack rate, uh, 105th <laughs> with 1.6 sacks per game, and 118th on Pro Football Focus's pass rush grade. So let's make this a Bo Davis game, uh, right? Like let's let's do it for Bo. <laughs> Let, you know what? After disappointing Bo, which we all know what happens when you disappoint Bo, um, he eats your face is what he does. So don't do it again. They disappointed him last week, and there aren't any faces left in the locker room in Austin. No. So it is going to be very much a an opportunity for the Texas defensive front to hopefully get something figured out. Now, again, a lot of it's schematic, and I think – 
whatever, I'll just go and say it. I think, again, guys are playing out of position where they were doing well. In the I'm not like a three-man front can't stop the run because that's not true, and it's been happening for decades of football. But I do think the body Texas has worked better in a four-man front. We saw it last year with Chris Ash. Now, again, Joseph Osai does cover a lot of sins. But the difference between two years ago, last year, and this year against the run pretty stark. And so this is an opportunity for them to hopefully be able to to get something that, you know, West Virginia is one of the least explosive running teams in the country. They've, they're averaging less than a point per successful run play, which is a very low number. Um, they've got a stuff rate that's not – it's not high, but it's not great of 14%. The line is producing less than three yards per rush. You want to see your line produce at least three yards. They're at 2.8. So they're not like a – they're not a bunch of world beater road graders, but Texas has shown the the propensity to be soft against the run and soft against an offensive line worth a darn. So that I think it's going to be a matchup of, of weakness against weakness when it's West Virginia's O-line matching up against Texas's kind of front. Absolutely. And, and Diggy does, as much as I said he likes to throw, he doesn't like to get hit. And he's no. not really particularly mobile. He's not going to run. His numbers, um, I remember Parker uh, Stats Award did uh, something before the season trying to talk himself into Jared Diggy. And basically his numbers when he has pressure versus when he doesn't coming into the season were just astronomically night and day. Yeah. And that's effectively held up during this season through every game. Um, so, I mean, it's... it's um, if Texas could get pressure, I like a lot of things that that can happen with the defense. Daggy's a guy who, you know, he, like I said, will throw it a lot to his team. He'll throw it a lot to the other team yeah. as well. Uh, ten interceptions on the season yep. and a couple more that could have been. Um, they have some good receivers. I don't know that they have any elite receivers who scare you like some, uh, you know, of, of the Mims and and uh, Thorntons and, and Ezekanya's guys around the big 12, but they have some solid receivers who will go up and make catches. Um, and if you remember kind of last year's relatively forgettable game, but there was, it felt like, you know, they had at least five or six catches that, that should have been incompletions. Deggy just threw them too high or out of the, out of the zone and guys went up and got them. Not guys, yeah. even that West Virginia fans, we love the smoking musket on, on Twitter. You should follow them for this game. Cause they're fun. Um, but they were even shocked at some of the performance that was happening. So, you know, they, this is a rivalry game for them. I think we should throw that out here at the top as well. And, you know, players will come out and perform a, because it's a bowl game. Cause you got to win this one to get into the bowl game. Uh, and, and B because it's Texas and they love to hate Texas, right? Since they've come to the big 12, they don't really have a ton of natural rivals and they've just kind of, as most people do taken on Texas as their, uh, rival of choice. And, uh, I would say, it, you know, horns down per fan base they are probably third most frequent after you know after OU and A&M they are they are a horns down in fan base they love it it is their effective hand sign even when they're not playing Texas so you know there you go so it's funny that you mentioned that so I asked on my personal Twitter like a month ago they were playing I think they were, I think it was during the OU game where they were showing people in the stands doing the horns down and I tweeted out like why on God's green earth are our West Virginia fans doing the horns down when they're playing OU and some like West Virginia freshman with 15 followers and too much eyeliner on a dude, by the way, <laughs> not, not, not like shaming anybody. Like it's just a weird combination of things. He's some sort of DJ, but anyway, jumped into my mentions. It was like, don't think it's about you. It's part of West Virginia culture now, which it started like four years ago with um, <laughs> an overly bearded quarterback winning one game, uh, which is fine. If you wanted to find your entire 
lifestyle around that. That's great, but it is about us when you're using our hand sign to enhance your uh, your own personal brand. Ask those weirdos in College Station about that. Their entire life is still Texas, even when they're better than Texas. Their school song will always be about us, but that's not what we're here to talk about. West Virginia's offense is not good. That being said, the Texas defense has been the cure for the common offense over yes. this year. And so that is what is like sticking in my craw is that like they are relatively explosive passing offense. And so, you know, they're averaging a point and a half per successful passing play, which is a big number, right? That's a mm-hmm. huge number for a defense. A defense wants to keep you closer to, to one. And so they're all about 50% over that. It's like Texas has shown they're very exploitable to the big play, especially through the air. And so that to me is something that I'm like, red flag, red flag. Like, I don't know. Um, Now, again, Pete Quickhouse, I say that Pete Quickhouse has done a relatively good job of keeping guys in front of the defense. But when the when the running backs crack off a big one like they want to do, like Letty Brown, who's a very incredible running back, the the safeties specifically have not always been in the right positions to make the plays against the pass. We saw that um, again against Kansas several times so there's a there's an opportunity for West Virginia to kind of create the balance that keeps Texas from really playing the defense that it wants to play because when Texas is playing within scheme and doing really well they keep a guy like Eric Kuzakonma who had his worst game of the year against Texas mm-hmm. in front of them they keep they limit a lot of deep passing plays but in these last few games they haven't really been able to play that balance because they've been so bad against the run Absolutely. And I do worry a little bit about not having Josh Thompson. Again, I don't know that there's anyone out of um, Winston Wright, probably their best receiver with 51 catches averaging under 60 yards a game. Um, Bryce Ford Wheaton might be um, their highest upside receiver, 37 catches, again, averaging about 50 a game, three touchdowns. Uh, Sam James has 32 catches, three touchdowns, averaging under 40 a game. Like they, they have a couple guys, Isaiah Esdale's their big play guy, but I don't know that any of them are of that level, but I would still like to have Josh Thompson, who you decide who the guy is, who you want, you know, the, the number one threat and have him attempt to neutralize. But again, like you said, if, if, you know, if you are allowing seven yards on the run and setting up second and threes where you're having to, to, to load the box a little more and, and you leave your defense susceptible any any competent or, or quasi competent offense knows how to exploit that specific situation. So I think it will be up again to the Texas's front to, to limit that because Letty Brown, I mean, he's probably good for a hundred yards a game because they feed him a lot, but I don't know that Letty Brown is, is good for 200 yards a game. But again, Texas has made almost, I mean, look at, look at the big 12 player reigning big 12 player of the week is Kansas's freshman running back, uh, a local kid from Lawrence, you know, a three-star kid again, no, no shout on him, but a freshman coming in and having the game of his career against Texas. It's, it's been, the Big 12 is the best running back conference potentially in football. Big 10 is pretty good too. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, Texas has, has certainly aided that, and they have not impeded that, at least I'll say. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do think that, that a lot of this comes down to can they can they limit the – the big plays can they get some pressure can they they when diggy makes the inevitable mistake which again helps if you get pressure on him can they get their hands on it can they hold on to the ball they haven't been successful uh necessarily doing that but they're a minus eight turnover team some of that is the defense not forcing a lot some of it certainly is the offense giving it away so you know again 
if Texas had Joseph Osai, I would feel like you could add <laughs> another seven points on the line, right? It could go from from two and a half or whatever it is, underdog to you know to to five uh, as the favorite, just because again a, a serviceable pass rush. I think honestly having Joseph Osai adds three wins this year, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. Uh, but you know having that serviceable pass rushing threat that is consistent that you know can get some pressure, I think is what you know, the Achilles heel of this offense. But so if Texas and they've shut Letty Brown down before he's had good years before um, and against probably better offensive lines than they'll see. But uh, I just, I, I haven't seen it from the Texas defense to be able to sit here and, and predict it. And, and again, uh, the, the, we can say all the things that are correct, but the larger thing, and this <laughs> is the offense and the defense for this team is how engaged, how bought in, how much fight, how much heart, how much dog is coming out from these players in this game? Is this a, yeah, we want to get to a bowl, so and we just got our, our butts in, you know, <laughs> utterly embarrassed by Kansas, and we're on a five-game losing streak, and no one wants to look up the stat for the last time a six-game losing streak was? Like, is that the team that shows up? And if so... I think they can paper over that if 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 the team that you know says I got a longhorn on my helmet I, that means I'm good I was a lot of stars in high school I'll just kind of go out and play it shows up then then I, I worry about the defense's ability to do something against again what isn't the best offense in 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 the Big Twelve we've we, you know we're we're eleven weeks into it now we've gone in and done the analysis and what happens on the field just doesn't line up with anything of the analysis that we've done and so that's the, the whole caveat that you're talking about. Uh, and again, in the red zone, this is something else that we need to talk about. You know, their West Virginia offensively is like hitting on 90% in the red zone, but only uh, 63% of that is touchdowns. So, you know, yeah. they've got they've got 20, 25 touchdowns to 40 appearances in the red zone. So it's not necessarily a great clip, and, and Sark talked about it early in the season. Um, but I feel like that's a completely different team than the one that we're talking about now of trading uh, field goals for, for touchdowns. And so I don't know what any of it means, but I do know that this, again, like we said last week, could be an opportunity for the defense to finally say we're not going to lie down and take it we're not going to let you run all over us now they didn't do that last week against a team that's very that's not very good and only won one other game this year and probably will not win another game for a long time but it could change I don't know it could change I'm not optimistic that it's going to change but it could Gerald, I'll just, I won't go heavy on the sad stats this week, but you talked about red zone 36 for 40, scoring 25 touchdowns. Before last week, Kansas came in 16 of 24 in the red zone with only 13 touchdowns. Um, they had seven against Texas. They almost, uh, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not a math major. They almost doubled it, basically, <laughs> um, against Texas, their touchdowns. I mean, ugh. I hope that Texas can get back to forcing field goals, which they've done relatively well this season. Um, and then West Virginia, again, having a decent line, but not elite, and having Letty Brown, who is a solid runner, but not elite, may help, you know, uh, some some squeeze in the red zone, bend, don't break, uh, defense take effect. But let's talk about the other side of the ball, because that's who has to take advantage of that. The West Virginia defense, again, not great, but slightly better, I guess, maybe, than the offense. They're number 32 in the country in defensive efficiency, number 72 in points per drive with 2.28 uh, yards per play. They've got 593, which is number 76 in the country. They're 78th in the country in EPA per play and 93rd against the pass. They're not a great 
defense, but Texas is going to be without Bijan Robinson, who's kind of the engine and kind of makes teams respect your balance. Now, Keelan um, cleared COVID protocols on Tuesday, uh, and Roshan is going to be back probably this week. He's he came he played against Kansas. He was an emergency running back, and the emergency happened, so he got into the game. So Keelan and Roshan will likely be your top two with Gabe Watson in at three. Teams are. Um, they're stuffing teams on just 20% of runs, and the line is giving up 2.9, almost 3 line yards per play. Now, again, they're not giving up a ton of explosivity on the ground. They're giving up less than one point per successful run play, but they're giving up almost 1.5 yards per or points per, per successful half pass play. So it seems like the strategy here, especially with Bijan out, Keelan having missed a chunk of practice due to COVID, Roshan still dealing with the foot injury with the turf toe. It seems like passing the ball, hopefully, fingers crossed, is the order of business for Texas. Yeah, and look, Texas has had a frustrating trend where they can they can have a seventy five yard drive in in ten plays, they can have an eighty two yard drive in four plays, and then they can have four straight three and outs. Right? They can just have that boom and bustment, you know, to the offense, even when they've been really good and efficient early on in the season. Um, this is a defense that's also built that way. There, we've talked in our preview and in multiple weekly previews in the beginning of the season when we wanted to believe this that Texas's front, you know, four their their defensive line is the strength of the team. This is a team that is truly that. I think the the they have some decent safeties. They have um, not great linebackers. <laughs> one who's good. One who's good who makes a lot of tackles. Um, but you know. Other than that, not necessarily elite linebackers, but they have really good front four. And that can show up with getting sacks. That can show up with stopping the run, with creating havoc. Um, you know, like anyone, like like PK, they play a relatively similar similar philosophy of create havoc on early downs, get offenses behind the chain. Uh, if you give up the big play, try to bend, don't break, right? Uh, but they do give up big plays. And when they give up big plays, boy, do they. Um, they give up almost more 50-yard plays than, than any defense in the Big 12. Um, so they, when when someone hits on them, they hit, pretty much just gone for a touchdown and so there might be that that you very well like you said Gerald where you have um, Texas coming in and, and knowing who they have healthy you know and knowing they have Casey you know as healthy as he was last week when he put up astronomical numbers um, and Xavier Worthy who's you know looked ding up in that game but you know he's he's a an absolute warrior who's going to go out and and run like he's 100 percent, you know at least on, on each route and I respect the heck out of him for that um, and I think he should be he should be a candidate to go off. Um, obviously, West Virginia, especially without Bijan, will be keying him, no doubt. Um, but, you know, just a stat I was looking at, 66% of Casey Thompson's throws have been between the hashes. He's thrown some outside deep balls, but he's thrown a lot over the middle. That's a really high number. Um, but West Virginia's biggest weakness, even though I said their safeties are pretty good, they get in these kind of switching zones or, or you know, uh, man rub routes deep where they just, they just miss. And it's been seam routes and deep cross routes that have given them the most trouble repeatedly over the season where those big plays have come. So I feel like you could see um, Sark scheme some things up to get, you know, worthy out of a bunch coming out of there, or you might see another Marcus Washington game where he's targeted as the second guy who's crossing in there if they're really making sure to double or keep a guy over top of Xavier Worthy. So I think there is a lot of meat on the passing bone, but I don't think Texas should have been in the run completely. I was looking at Roshan's season. He will likely be the lead back, assuming he, he said he felt... His, he was surprised by how well his body held up with the turf toe last week, so you imagine it's getting better. Mm -hmm. um, but he, even though he hasn't had 
a ton of work. He's forced 22 missed tackles on just 50 attempts, um, 4.4 yards after contact. He's, he's, you know, as we know, he finishes runs. We know we've known that for years, um, but his pro, fo- pro football focus ranked him 179.8 elusive rank is the fourth best in the nation. Again, small sample size, but a guy who's, who's, you know, uh, I think we've said the metaphor can make a guy miss in a phone booth sometimes. Um, and you, I've also heard Gerald say the exact metaphor that West Virginia uh, defense likes to have a, a knife fight in a phone booth. So it'll be a phone booth kind of kind of uh, <laughs> matchup with the with the Texas offensive line versus the West Virginia defensive line. Uh, I don't think they should run it forty times in lieu of of you know using their their passing weapons. But I, I don't think they should abandon the run either. No, and I, that's not what I'm saying. Like you can't abandon the run, especially. And I think this if it takes two running backs getting injured for Keelan Robinson to finally get more than five touches in a game. Great. (laughs) Now, granted, we've seen Keelan Robinson get swallowed up by the turf monster on multiple occasions. So that's maybe that's contributing to why he didn't play much at Alabama. Now he's getting limited touches at Texas. Um, If he can't run without falling down, then he can't play (laughs) running back. I'm just just saying. Um, But Roshan is a guy who who can win a knife fight in a phone booth, I think is the right way to say it, because he is not, he is both impervious to knives and he brings a machete to the, like, Roshan is prison rules playing playing football. That's the I only way it. I can describe it. And so, like, if you're going to have to have a knife fight in a phone booth, Roshan Johnson is a guy that you want. Anywho, names sit on the defense linebacker, Josh uh, Chandler Semendo is their leading tackler. He's second in the conference behind Malcolm Rodriguez over at Oklahoma State. Um, We've, the Stills brothers have been around for 17 and a half years, it feels like, but Dante Stills is still in Morgantown uh, with 11 and a half tackles for loss. That's, that's why their name is Stills, Gerald. They're Stills there. They're Stills <laughs> there. Come on, there's Kyle's one. Uh, and then Taj Austin uh, on the other side with five sacks of his own. So this is a team that, again, we've seen good defensive ends eat up Texas. We saw it a week ago. Um, Kansas's only good defensive lineman caused two turnovers in the first half that caused Texas to just absolutely get annihilated. So that's the thing that like sticks out to me is whether it's Jones, whether it's Carrick, whoever it is who is the bookend, can they hold up to it? And we won't see the quarterback holding the ball for too long unless Casey gets hurt again. You have Hudson Card coming in. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Um, Hudson held on the ball for too long on that that fumble, and it is what it is. So that won't be the problem. But can the offensive linemen not get beat on their first step? Because both of them, and Andre Carrick, because he's young, and Christian Joe, just because I think he's got some developmental um, miles that he needs to travel, like they both have bad feet sometimes. It's not always the case. Um, but we saw it, again, even when Carrick – had the good block and the defensive end had to climb the whole arc and the quarterback held on for it too long. He stepped, he did what you call stepping in the bucket where he Mm. kind of just took a step underneath himself and you're off balance and you can't really travel with people. But again, that's too much intricate offensive line talk for one podcast. (laughs) So that to me is the question that I still want to see is like, can those bookends, can the tackles hold up to it? Because Texas has not been great pass blocking, especially in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and and it's not it's not just us. We I mean we we've seen a an advancement with our interior line pass blocking. We haven't seen like Arkansas where you know a defensive tackle just pushes our center and guard over on the same play and a three man rush. All three of them get in. Um, you know what I joked was the screen blocking on on pa- passes that weren't screen passes. <laughs> um, but you know so there's been some improvement there. I th- I'd say all in all, um, you know tackle play over the season has moved, but Will McDonald exploited them. And then you saw, um, was it Chiron? I can't remember his last name. The, 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 uh, defensive end for, um, 
for KU who did the same. So that is a little bit a little bit worrying about you know them getting home. Pro Football Focus uh, currently has Texas ranked as 96th in pass blocking efficiency. Again, that's over the whole season, but still um, not great. 23 sacks for this team. Um, the thing is, you know, Casey, when he has some pressure on him, that's when a lot of his interceptions have come. So it's similar to Diggy. Like the, the, the game plan is get pressure on the quarterback, make quarterback, you know, throw. If, if he's if he's uh, throwing, you know, if they are ahead of the chains on schedule, if he's um, on platform throwing, that's a dangerous offense. But if you can get him moving and he's he, he could scramble well and reset well he, he is he's done that well but if you can uh get him moving or, or especially get some a uh, hit on him as he's going to throw that's where those interception things could loom they only have five interceptions on the year but i know they're licking their chops hoping to increase um increase that number i think an interesting thing to watch here will be um you know is there a way to use Roshan, do we see a wildcat with Roshan and Keelan? Is that a thing that comes out? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if Jonathan Brooks is we is 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 not fully healthy. You know, are are, are we going to have two healthy backs that, that can go all game? Do we end up in a forty pass situation again? I don't think anyone necessarily wants that. I don't think twenty three targets for Xavier Worthy is is the game plan. So do they use the tight ends a little bit more? Do you see um, because they're you know we got like seven of those guys. Jatavian Sanders sits like, you know, as a five star, like seven deep on a depth chart. We got a lot of tight ends. Um, do we incorporate that more to help chip and block a little bit on these good linemen and also give some targets, you know, uh, for the kind of short middle uh, passing game. Cade Brewer obviously came up big with the game tying touchdown. We haven't heard from Wiley in a little while. Uh, is this a Gunner Helm type appearance? I don't know. Um, but, you know, I just wonder if there will be some different targets so that we aren't truly without Bijan a one-dimensional offense that says Roshan try to do something or we'll throw it up to Xavier Worthy uh, and see what happens you know and so I wonder what they're going to draw up this week but I, I I don't know why I have a feeling that there might be uh, some some newer faces getting getting some uh, some burn in this one I mean I think we we mentioned new faces I think Moochie Dixon has shown that he's probably deserving of continued targets the plays that he was in on uh, were pretty positive so just closing out the book on this uh, third downs and special teams again uh, we talked about the offense in the red zone. So the West Virginia offense has been okay, uh, converting on less than 40%, and their defense has been even worse than okay, giving up 40%. But again, Texas has been bad against both of those in the last several weeks. So is that something that can flip for Texas, or will it just the trend continue? I don't know. I, I But let's let's if Texas can figure it out, that'd be great. And Neil Brown has not been an overly aggressive play calling coach in his tenure, uh, but he did uh, in the last game against K State have like I'd have to look it up again, but multiple like on one drive, multiple fourth down conversions. They're fourteen for twenty one on four, so not you know uh, this year has shown a little more aggression uh, in going for that. We talked about that. with Dave Aranda being more aggressive this year, I think coaches in general, it feels like this year are, you know, leaning into the analytics and not punting, uh, except on pure punting downs. And we'll talk a little bit. <laughs> let's talk about it. The, uh, their punting is, is absurdly bad. They're actually, I think worse than Iowa state. Who's one of the worst in the country. Uh, but they are second to last in the, in the big 12 because West Virginia's net punting is only 38.6. So, um, they're, they're not necessarily going to give a ton of room for punt return yards just because their punter can't really leg it. Uh, and, and the irony there is their kicker's name is leg Casey leg has hit 16 of 18 field goals, but he hasn't tried over 50. So they don't have big legs 
accurate legs, kicking it. Uh, their touchback percentage is only 21%. They are very, 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 very low. That's nationally one of the lowest. So that should allow Texas, who hasn't been great at kick returns. That's probably been the weakest point of Texas's uh, season this year. They haven't had, besides the first game, opening kickoff taken back for a touchdown that was called back. They've probably had two or three good returns called back to holding. They haven't had clean returns that went well. Think about OU with the Xavier Worthy attempt, the fumble that was a big play that, that hurt them. Think about Jonathan Brooks last week letting a ball bounce off his shin on the pin them on the two-yard line. Um, they've had a couple kind of questionable plays where they've been uh, the best in the nation at blocking punts, uh, you know, which will be an interesting see if that can keep coming um they've covered punts and kickoffs really well they've had pretty good punt returns kick return hasn't been the best but this should be a week where west virginia is not good at kickoffs like just plain and simple they don't get enough touchbacks teams get a chance to run them back and teams have had some success so let's see if this is a chance for jameson to to do something there um again the the field position is interesting will be a battle to watch because as we said off the top the last five games have been have been under ten points. I think out of those five, four have been less than less than one score games. Like we're talking four or five point games most of the time. So with a line of of under three points and a history of one touchdown games, <laughs> uh, field position will matter in this one without a doubt. So since you're tiptoeing into it, let's jump in and talk about it. Kyle Podstradamus. Here's here's the case. It's the closest it's been in the years that we've done the Podstradamus predictions. And so, you lead 12 to 10. So if you get both this week, at worst it's a tie on the year. You can close it out and guarantee at least a tie. So, with all that pressure, what's your first Podstradamus pick of the week? So Gerald, I'm coming out swinging. I, I, I'm not going to sit on the ball. I'm not gonna gonna sit here and and run the clock out like you know Kansas tried to do against Texas and almost cost them the game <laughs> by changing their philosophy and running three straight times. I'm gonna go for it like Kansas did for two in overtime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I have to let Just that pick go. Pick all the scabs. Uh, the past two games, Texas has had what has typically been. One of their strengths, which is starting strong, opening scripts, the Steve Sarkeesian special, drawing something up, hitting people hard. Usually they, they've put points up right away. They had a utterly uncharacteristic Bijan fumble while fighting for yards on the opening drive of Iowa State. And they had a strip sack fumble against Kansas uh, that led to kind of truncated opening drives, stole the momentum from Texas' offense. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say this week, Texas will get points. I'm not going to say a touchdown, but will score points on their opening drive. I think that feels fair. I think that not a bad expectation. So I am also um, going to be more aggressive than I probably should be in a, in a game where I just need a layup. But a friend of the show, Xavier Worthy, is, as a freshman, just two touchdown receptions from tying Jordan Shipley for the most touchdown receptions in a single season. And I think he ties Jordan Shipley this week with two touchdown receptions and holds the, his third now school record after setting both the freshman yardage and freshman touchdown records a week ago. So Xavier Worthy goes for two touchdowns against West Virginia. Kyle, 
What's your second Potradamus pick? All right, so I, I mentioned it before. This needs to be a Bo Davis game. If Texas wants to win this, so I'm going to do like I've done before and be aspirationally Podstradaming and say, I'm going to speak this into existence. Texas will have two sacks, and, and, and that's no easy feat if you know this defensive line. We'll have two sacks uh, against the West Virginia offensive line and QB Daigie. Texas, two sacks, some pressures, some hands and faces, all kinds of things, but we're looking for two sacks from Texas. And to jump on the Texas pressure, I think that all of that pressure is going to amount to at least two turnovers from the Mountaineers. All right, I like it. I like it. Let's get two sacks where they throw the ball uh, up on, on other passes. So we were talking about four hits on Daigie. Two of them are sacks. Four of them are turnovers at a minimum, and we're both feeling good. Feeling good, feeling great, feeling great, feeling good. How are you? So we will be back with all of your reactions following the game. All right, Gerald, let's take a look at the world now through burnt orange lenses. Remember, off the football field, we're, we're a pretty good athletic department. Um, let's take a look at the grads first, NFL horns. Big Malcolm, they're both big. Defensive tackle Malcolm for Jacksonville had five tackles, two tackles for a loss. Good to see him doing well. Um, Mike Dixon. You know, you just do what Mike Dixon does. Six punts this week, 45.7 average, had a 61-yarder, four of them inside the 20. Uh, Seattle doesn't look great, but they know they can rely on Mike Dixon. Um, Brandon Jones, Gerald, four-year Dolphins, seven tackles. Looking like a legitimate, like, you know, as bad as that season started. I think they're on a two-game win streak. Uh, Brandon Jones being a part of it. What do you think, Brandon Jones, Dolphins defense? Can they can they uh, turn the corner? I, I still don't know if they can turn the corner particularly, but based upon the way that the season started and the fact that like they're like kind of on the bubble for the playoffs at this point in the AFC, like they're not necessarily in the hunt, but a couple of more games, um, they're on the rise. So I could, I was not super thrilled with Flores early in the season, but it seems like whatever he's doing, whatever levers he's pulling right now are working. So Keep up the good work and hopefully get some offensive linemen in the offseason. Don't call it a comeback. Um, my team uh, is, is had a little wobble, but uh, the Baltimore Ravens, uh, we had Tucker miss a field goal. That's always tough. One for Woof. two. Uh, you just never see that, kids. But uh, Tevin DuVernay did have four catches for 28 yards. Starting to get more involved in that offense. I like that. One carry for 19 as well. Uh, and, of course, the one punt return for nine, one kick return for 21. Um, so we, we kind of hinted that the, the rate – excuse me, the uh, – Arizona Cardinals have, with Colt McCoy's quarterback, a a, a Longhorn uh, opportunity to watch both offense and defense. Couple of key players. This was not Colt's best week. Eleven for 20, 102 yards. They uh, they were they were beaten. Uh, but Jordan Hicks showed out. Ten tackles for one pass breakup. But what that did was open the door with. Um, Puna Ford had a big pass breakup where he jumped from five foot six up to like six foot six, which is always impressive. Um, Explosivity but, you know, it, from the big man. It wasn't the, the, the Seahawks, certainly, this week. was not the Longhorn team of the week. It wasn't uh, the Ravens, especially with Deshaun Elliott out um, and Justin Tucker missing. So the, the, the Texas team of the week at the NFL level is your Tennessee Titans. Gerald, Jeff Swaim, I joked about it. But like, <laughs> if you're in a real tight, squeeze-deep league, the guy just puts up four catches for 30 yards every week, sometimes throws a touchdown in there. Uh, he's he's a legitimate, like, low-end fantasy tight end, which is so weird <laughs> to say. Um, great blocker, though. Um, but uh, 
two names who we haven't talked a lot about with the Tennessee Titans, but who who absolutely showed out. Uh, Dante Foreman made his season debut um, for the Titans and has kind of been with with Derrick Henry hurt, been getting more uh, more of the load. Eleven carries for thirty yards, had two catches for forty eight yards, including setting a long screen pass that set up the uh, the ultimate was the go ahead uh, field goal that that. Uh, had gave them a two point win. Um, had that it was thirty nine yards and was a really really nice play. And he just looks like he's he's growing into it. But the the Longhorn of the week, the Longhorn of, of the Titans of the week, uh, was Marcus Johnson. Five catches, had a fifty yarder, hundred total yards. All of his five catches, I think at least four of them were like first down catches. Just seemed to be with Julio Jones on the IR uh, stepping in. So watch him three kick ret- uh, kick returns as well, doing a lot for those. Titans. So let's move it off of uh, that uh, alumni into the the other Longhorns. Just want to throw out number two volleyball. In addition to being elite on the court, also played placed ten in the academic All Big Twelve team. They have their final home game uh, when this comes out on Thursday as well as Friday. Uh, will be senior night for Brianni Butler and Sydney Peterson. And just you know, as it as it happens, uh, it came out uh, today that Logan Eggleston was named back to back. Big 12 player of the week or third time this season. Just wanted to point out for folks, if you're looking for other sports to watch besides UT football this weekend, uh, number one, men's swimming and diving, and newly minted number two, women's swimming and diving, will host the Texas Diving Invitational with four top 25 teams uh, invited, including those those hated Texas Aggies. And then Gerald, B. John Robinson was named a Doak Walker semifinalist, and, and we were talking about it earlier. Big 12 is... The league of running backs. Yeah, buddy. I mean, what five, was it? Four or five of the, the Doak Walker semifinals are from the Big Twelve. It depends how you count BYU as future Big Twelve <laughs> uh, team. It was four plus a BYU back, but yeah, forty percent, and that's not even counting Oklahoma State's running back who had a legitimate chance. You know, his stats. He's played way better than I anticipated for a team that is legitimately good this year, mm-hmm. uh, and he's a big part of it. He could have he could have easily been on that bubble of first two or three out. So certainly, Big Twelve uh, is the cradle of running backs. Um, oh, it? Speaking of of Big Twelve, number twelve, Texas women's basketball cruised past Southeast Missouri to keep their unbeaten season going, eighty eight. 247. They uh, opened the game up really in the second quarter on a 23 to six um, out uh, kind of scoring uh, stretch over the Red Hawks that, that put the game uh, out of doubt for Longhorns in double figures, including our our girl Joanne Allen Taylor with 13 three rebounds and three steals. Lauren Ebo got her first start, had 11 points, 10 rebounds on just five of five shooting, and then uh, Aaliyah Mathuru had 11. Roy Harmon had 11. Uh, Deona Gaston had nine and four rebounds. Basically, everyone did well in this one. It, it looked like a team uh, that is taking seriously the games between the big games because they have another one uh, that's nationally televised coming up on the horizon, and they didn't get caught in a trap game between Stanford and Tennessee, so you love to see it. All right, as we mentioned, on Sunday, you can catch that one on ESPN uh, against Tennessee. And number eight, Men's basketball is coming back from the tough trip. When we're recording this, it's about almost nine o'clock here on a Monday, on a Wednesday night, and they are up uh, fifty to twenty-six currently. So we'll have some stats for you on this one. But it looks like they're probably going to do well through the whole Abe Lemons Classic again 
northern Colorado, not necessarily uh, on the same level as Gonzaga. But, <laughs> Gerald, um, let's wrap it up with a little bit of Godzilla Tron. What are you watching on your giant screen? Uh, so we finally finished Midnight Mass, and it was really good. Again, I don't do scary um, all that often, but it was scary with something to say and legitimately like moving for me at the end. And, and again, um, if you don't know my history, like I, I spent some time as a, a full time member of the clergy, and so there's a lot of like conversation I'm having with myself about just the state of things and me and all of that. Um, I'm not one that's afraid to like ask tough questions about myself and my faith and my history. And so that was something that I enjoyed and I appreciate it. It was a good thought um, experiment for me. Again, very, very scary <laughs> toward the end. So if you're not into scary stuff, don't do it. And then my wife and I are plowing through New Girl because New Girl is the exact opposite of a horror movie about religion or horror show about religion. It is just <laughs> a fun, lighthearted, most of the time sitcom, real funny, real laugh out loud. I'm a big fan of it. We're enjoying it. Uh, it's fun. Frank Sinatra, baby. I, uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't prepared for how much I was going to enjoy that show, uh, and, and I agree with you that it is, uh, it is the the cast, the ensemble cast around them that that makes it uh, amazing. So I have been watching. Speaking of ensemble cast, uh, Succession. I don't know if I mentioned that on this show, but staying up with HBO's rich, fancy people in ornate rooms giving exquisitely crafted dialogue show about. Nothing. I mean, it is about something. It's about uh, big media in the succession plan of a family media business. It's uh, kind of loosely based on Fox News, um, but it's it is. If you haven't heard of it, like go check it out. Certainly, if you've watched it and you didn't love it, I'd say the same thing I said to my wife because she kind of torn between. Sometimes she's like, oh, "This isn't for me. It's a little slow, or whatever." If you watch Succession as a drama. It can be a little bit dry. You're just watching for some of the best dialogue. Like Aaron Sorkin's watching it saying, man, I wish I would have thought of that. Just some unbelievable one-liners and zingers and basically just showing rich people as being the worst. Uh, But if you watch it as a dark comedy, it is exquisite. Um, I mean, again, it's just great actors. Like half of them are, are, you know, like renowned theater actors. So, you know, it's just sharp performances um but you know brian cox right off the top as as kind of the the patriarchal figure is just an immense presence there's a character named tom Wamsgans who's just one of my probably top five favorite like cringy funny characters of all time and he's plays it so straight but he he is just hilarious but anyways uh macaulay culkin's uh brother kieran culkin is a revelation in it and and maybe has the most biting dialogue Uh, but it's great it is a great uh watch and i've also been watching Another very much dark uh, black comedy, um, Fargo. I got into season two. I think I mentioned on the show I watched season one. It was uh, great. And then I just kind of put it down. I didn't keep going um, for whatever reason. And so this week I started season two back up. Very different. It goes back in time uh, a, a bit to the 70s. It's It's got a, a great aesthetic of time and place. And, uh, of course, uh, the the dialogue, the people, the, the world building is amazing. There's some great performances in it so far. I think I'm about halfway through season two, and I'm, I'm loving it. I don't know, maybe, maybe more than season one, at least as much as season one um, so far. Again, I haven't gotten to the end, so we'll, uh, we'll see where we go from here. But uh, loving Fargo season two. Noted. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the Internet? You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, Pod at gmail.com. 
gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Horns up, you mountaineers. <laughs>